Welcome to the Vineyard Northridge Weekly Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message by our senior pastor, Neil Haney. For more information about our church, visit our website at vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge. When I was in college, I had really begun, kind of like late high school actually, begun to really become serious about the Lord. The, the, the Holy Spirit had done something to my mom, who was teaching my, Sunday, my high school Sunday school class, and it was one of those deals like, who are you and what have you done with my mother, you know, kind of thing, because I, I was a teenager. I wasn't really geeked about being around my mom, especially as a teacher, especially with my peers, and I didn't go for a long time because I was just embarrassed. I was afraid she was going to embarrass me. And then I went, and, and I began to kind of catch the fire that was stirring in her. And by the time I got to college, I was really seriously beginning to read the Word for the first time. I mean, really read the Word. And I worked my way through Genesis, and then I got into Exodus, and then I bogged down in, you know, Leviticus. And I just gave up on the Old Testament and just moved on into the Gospels and started reading about Jesus. And I kind of fell in love with this just Jesus. And I was reading, plowing through the Gospels in the book of Acts. And, and then the Lord called me into ministry. In my junior year on spring break, he called me into ministry. But one of the things as I grew in the Lord that I became aware of was a desire to, to be holy, to, be, to, to not to sin, a desire to walk in victory. And I found myself unable to do that. I'm sure none of you can relate to that. But I would, I would ask forgiveness. I would go through a couple of days of grief over whatever I'd done. I would vow to the Lord never do it, again, do it again if he would just forgive me one more time. And then a week later, I was right back in the same cycle. And, and, and it was grievous to me. I, I wasn't one of these guys that just didn't care. I, I, I wasn't, you know, uh, I, w- I, I had the Holy Spirit in me. I wasn't chasing skirts. I wasn't, you know, dr- getting drunk. I was actually trying to, actually, at, uh, by my junior year, called into ministry. I knew that I had to finish college and, and go to seminary. I mean, that's the way they did it in the Methodist system, and I was a Method- in the Methodist church. I had to go to seminary in order to be a pastor. So I was facing another, I was completing 120 hours of an undergrad, and I was facing another 90 hours of a master's degree. And uh, to get a master's of divinity, what the heck ever that means. You know, my, my, my sister calls me Dr. Divine because she said 90 hours of a master's. You should have a doctorate after 90 hours. So, but anyway, um, I was really frustrated with the fact that I couldn't seem to get past my flesh, my, my sin, my, you know, and, and, and so... Uh, I, I, just, I just really struggled. And I, I remember sitting in, in the library at school and not wanting to be there. I wanted to be anywhere else but sitting over a textbook preparing a, for a test or, or you know, doing my homework or whatever. And I was miserable, but I knew I had to do it. And so there was this battle inside of me. And, and I actually wrote a poem one night about it in the library. It was called The Both of Me and talked about these two Two things inside of me. One of them wanted to do the right thing. One of them wanted, wanted to follow God, wanted to live a godly life, and the other could care less. Just wanted to do whatever was the most expedient to make me feel better. Anybody relate to that? Yeah? Okay, yeah. 
Good. I'm glad you're here this morning. So um, the summer, I, I was called into ministry my junior year during spring break. My parents left for, with my brother and sister for Venezuela. It was back before the cartel took over and all that stuff. And they became, you know, whatever they are now. But Venezuela was a pretty nice place to be at the time. And there was a, there was a Reynolds Metals International plant. My dad worked for Reynolds, and he was assigned to this plant. And so he took my brother, and, and, and my brother worked at the plant, and my mom and sister just hung out and got suntan or whatever for the summer. And they asked me to stay, and they actually paid me to house it for them so I could have money to go back to college the next fall. Guys, I'm going to tell you, that was the most lonely, miserable, frustrating summer of my life. I turned 21 that summer all by myself. There was no family to celebrate my 21st birthday. Uh, In fact, we didn't, you know, it was before the days of cell phones. It cost like $500 to call Venezuela, and so they weren't going to call me. And, you know, so I didn't even hear from them until they got back. But it it was a very lonely summer. I worked for King's Dominion. My brother got me a job at King's Dominion. It was... Virginia's version of King's Island, and I was in the food services department working with a bunch of potheads, and uh, these guys were anything but Christian, and they were constantly trying to get me to go to the bar or get me to smoke weed or, you know, get me to do some things that I won't even talk about. And so, um, I, and, and I just struggled. I mean, I was a young man, single young man, just struggling with being single, and, and it was just, a, it was a bad summer. And so, I... I, I, I just struggled with my flesh, and, and one day I'm just feeling so defeated, and I had gotten through the book of Acts and gotten into Romans, and I'm thinking, maybe, you know, Paul is, he's a pretty smart guy, and, and you know, I've, I've gotten through some of his, you know, the first few chapters of, of Romans, and I'm like, maybe Paul has some kind of answer for me, some kind of answer for this struggle that I'm having with the flesh, some kind of answer for this thing that I'm going through. And so I'm, I'm, I'm reading, and, and um, it's, it's over on the weekend. I'm not working, and, and so I'm reading this, and I get to Romans 6, and it says, and, and I'm going to come back to this, but it's, Paul says, you know, where sin abounds, grace abounds all the more. Oh, thank you, Lord. But it would really be nice not to do this so that this didn't have to abound all the more. And, he, and Paul says this, and in the beginning of chapter 6, he says, What shall we say then? Shall we go on sinning that grace might increase? And he's like, heck no. No way. Perish the thought. You know, the strongest language he can use, he says, don't do it that way. Let's don't go on sinning that grace might increase. He says, "Uh, we died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And I'm like, what? We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? And then he says this, Don't you know that those who were baptized into Christ were baptized into his death so that the body of sin might be done away with? The old man was crucified with him so that we might live a life, a new life in the Spirit. Therefore, consider yourselves dead to sin but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. And I'm like, what are you talking about? I just blew it. I was called a ministry. I know I was because I was there when it happened. And now I'm not even sure I'm saved. Because Paul just said that we died to sin, and I certainly haven't died to sin because I just did it. I just blew it. What are you talking about? 
And I kept reading and got more confused. And he got into Romans 7 and he made me feel a little bit better because he says, you know, he's talking about, I, I want to do the things that, that I, I mean, I want to do good, but I keep doing bad. And I don't do the things I want to do, but the things I don't want to do, these things I keep on doing. And I'm like, yeah, that's, you just told my story. But, but I was so frustrated. Now, I want to note something here. Super important. The American church, the church at least the, that I had been a part of, had totally failed me. Totally failed me. That first part of Isaiah 61 says, preach good news to the poor. And we're not just talking about people who don't have money. We're talking about the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor in spirit. I needed something to help me. And there was nobody. My pastor couldn't, my pastor never once preached on what I'm preaching on this morning. I never heard it. In fact, it was, I was in my 40s before I ever heard this for the first time. And the first time I heard it, after I read Romans 6, it just went right over my head. But it was like, it was one of those things, it's like, when I, when, when I heard it, I'm like, that sounded important. I might want to revisit that. And then the Lord just kept taking me back and taking me back and taking me back. By the way, guys, let me just say this. Need and failure are two of the primary ways that God's work works in our lives. Our failure and our need and our grieved spirits when we blow it, when we lose our temper and yell at our kids or our, kick the dog or, or we lie about something or... Or we, we, you know, we, there's a thousand things I could share. You know your sins. I don't need to, to tell you your sins. I don't need to tell you mine. There's a thousand ways to fail. But our, our need, we, and we keep trying. We, like Paul in, that, in Romans 7, I'm, gonna, I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to do this again. I'm not going to do this again. Daggone it, I did this again. And we, we fail and we try and we fail and we try. That's a good thing. God's not upset. He's got you covered. And he's going to show you the way out of this, this rat wheel of sin and forgiveness, sin and forgiveness, sin and forgiveness. But the American church had let me down. It had only given me the half of the gospel as it pertained to the cross and the death of Jesus. I had only heard that Jesus died on the cross so my sins could be forgiven. His blood was shed on the cross so I could be forgiven and my sins, sins, plural, could be washed away. Acts of sins, things I had done wrong. But I never heard a sermon, never read a book on the second half of the gospel about the cross and the death of Jesus that dealt with the power and slavery of sin that was in me that produced the sins that I was committing. Are you hearing me? It's one thing to be forgiven for acts of sin. It's another thing to be released from the power and slavery to sin. Paul and Moses talked about sin, capital S, singular, sin, like it was an entity of its, in and of itself. In fact, some people have, reading Paul say that he treats sin like the unholy spirit. Like the antithesis to the Holy Spirit is sin. Cain was about to kill Abel out of jealousy. And God said, don't do it, Cain. He said, sin is crouching at the door 
and its desire is for you, but you must overcome it. You see what I'm saying? It was like this thing called sin was crouching. It, it had a desire. It had a will. It, it was about to act. And Cain was about to be, be a victim of this if he, le- if he gave in to an act of sin. And, of course, you know what happened. He did kill his brother. And then he was alienated from God. He, bought, he walked away, by the way. God didn't leave him. So the cross, the cross. Jesus died for me, but Jesus, the last Adam, died as me as well. So that when he died on the cross, I died on the cross. His crucifixion was my crucifixion, was your crucifixion. His death was my death and your death to sin so that the law that condemned me and the world with all its evil influence would be crucified to me and me to it, to them, those things. Let me show you how this works. Let me show you how this works. Like I said, I was over 40 years old before I ever saw this. Everybody know what this is? Everybody loves these, right? Everybody loves flowers, right? Everybody loves flowers, except for maybe this one. And the ones that grow on poison ivy. Steve Fry is a, yeah, Steve has fought dandelions for his entire career. He has a lawn service, okay? The unwanted little weed or flower that wants to take over your yard, and believe me, it will if you let it. Okay. So, what you do is you take your lawnmower and you go out there and you mow that sucker down. Gone, taken care of. No more dandelions. Well, unfortunately, unfortunately, what you've just done is that you have just pruned the weed that wants to take over your yard. You know what pruning is, right? You cut something back so that it grows back even better, bigger, more. You cut down a dandelion, that's, gonna, that's what it's going to look like when it comes back. The things we do wrong or don't do right... Okay, that's, that's, what this, that's what we're talking about here. Sins are the things that we do wrong, the things that we don't do right. Outbursts of anger, jealousy, gossip, lust, people-pleasing, pride, lying, you name it. Like I said, you, you know your sin. Romans 7 says, I do the things I hate. I don't do the things that I want to do. The law is good and beautiful, but I am miserable. I'm a miserable man. I'm sold into bondage to sin. It's really no longer me that's sinning. It's actually the sin that's living in me because I agree with the law, but I see something else in my members waging war against my mind, making me a slave. When I want to do good, sin is right there with me. Not only do I do wrong, but I am wrong, and I'm not right. I'm not righteous. Righteous means right with God. See, the way you deal with the dandelion is you have to go to the root. And the root of sins is sin. It's this thing. It's this thing that Paul was talking about in Romans 7. It's the old man. It's the flesh. And so we are wrong. We are not righteous. (laughs) Okay. 
Now, this is the beautiful thing here. This is the other part of the gospel. So the first part of the gospel says this. There are, we commit sinful actions, and if we do things wrong, and we don't do the things that we should do. We don't do the right things. And for that, we have guilt and shame. That's what I dealt with that, that long summer when my parents were in Venezuela. What is the, what is the remedy what is the cure? It requires the blood of Jesus. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Can I get an amen? Yeah. The blood of Jesus was shed to, to wash away my sin. But what about, what about this part? What about this part? What has to happen there? We are wrong. The result is slavery and misery. Bondage. We're under the power of sin, and we can't seem to break with it. Well, that, re that requires something else. It requires death. Listen, God doesn't want to improve on your old man. God doesn't want to improve on your flesh. He wants to crucify it. That's the only remedy for the flesh. You cannot tame or, or make your flesh any better. It's just not going to get better. Okay? And, and people spend their entire lives fighting with the flesh. And so the, the blood of Jesus cleanses us from guilt. But the cross of Jesus sets us free from sin. All right. So here's what happens. There's a new source of life. You died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, you will appear with him in glory. That's why Paul can say in, in Galatians 2.20, I was crucified with Christ. I have been crucified with Christ, past tense. And it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So it's, there's, a new there's a new source of life on the inside that has conquered sin on the inside and manifests itself in the life of Christ on the outside. Does that make sense to anybody? Christ wants to be your life. He doesn't just want to save you and, and wash away your sins. He wants to kill you and replace you with his life now he doesn't really kill us like like you have a personality that he created and he just absolutely loves he loves everything about you except your flesh <laughs> and he wants to deal with that by putting it on the cross and then living let jesus live his life through your personality through your experiences through your um eyes and mouth and and ears and hands he wants to live through you. So I want to talk about the promise, the promiser, and our faith. Because that, those three things have to come together for this thing to work. There's a prom, there are promises that God has made us. There is the one who made the promise that makes it real and makes it happen. And then there, there's our faith that connects with that. Does that make sense? And without faith, we can't really lay hold of the promises of God. But there's a, there's, a, there's a twist here somewhere, and I want to show you this. So, 
That day in June when I had sinned and I, I, I started reading Romans uh, 6, I want to show you what I was looking at here. We died to sin. How can we live in it any longer? All of us who were baptized into Jesus were baptized into his death. We were buried with him through baptism into death that just uh, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead, we too may now live a new life in the Spirit. Hallelujah. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body ruled by sin might be done away with. Wow, that's, that's amazing. That we should no longer be slaves to sin. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. That is a, that's wonderful news. That's the gospel, man. Because anyone who has died has been set free from sin. Now that day that I was reading this for the, really the first time, I wasn't feeling free from sin. I wasn't feeling dead to sin. I wasn't feeling uh, anything but frustrated and condemned and, and maybe uh, uh, reaching the conclusion that I wasn't even saved. But this actually gets worse for me because for the first time in the book of Romans, there's now a command. Six and a half chapters, and there's not anything that's said about what we have to do until this verse. Verse 11 of chapter 6. Therefore, given all this stuff, given that fact that you died with Christ, that you were crucified with Him, that you were raised with Him, that, that you're no longer obligated to live, you know, you're, you're, you're free from sin and, and sin slavery. Therefore, it says the word count or reckon or consider or, or trust that, believe that, have faith that you're, uh, count yourselves, reckon yourselves, consider yourselves dead to sin but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. That's a faith statement. And I didn't understand that. I'm like, I can't say that. I can't do that because I just sinned. And I'll probably do it again, knowing me. And do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And do not offer the parts of your, yourself to sin as instruments of wickedness. For sin shall no longer be your master. Oh, guys, that's easy to say. Paul, that's really easy for you to say, but you don't live in, at that time, 20th century America. You don't, you're not in my shoes. You're not in my boat with me. You don't understand what I'm going through. Maybe back in the first century that was easy to do, but you don't understand my situation. How can this be true? I didn't understand. I did not understand how to appropriate faith to take hold of this. And this is the big secret that I want to share with you this morning. I hope I'm making sense. You see, the promiser is the key here. He's given us these precious and magnificent promises in order that we might participate in his divine nature. I'm, I'm seeing blank stares. <laughs> Why should we believe God's promise is true when my experience says otherwise? Why should I believe that I'm dead to sin when I sinned just five minutes earlier before I read this verse? And five minutes after that. And five days after that. And five years after that. My experience is saying that this is a lie. These promises are a lie. Well, 
I'll get to that. But here's the thing. Paul, in Titus 1, verses 1 and 2, Paul says, Paul, an apostle of Jesus Christ, am writing to you to further the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness, the truth that leads to godliness, the faith of God's elect and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. It's our faith and our knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. Don't forget that. And in the hope of the eternal, of eternal life to which God, who does not lie, promised. God does not lie. Hebrews chapter 6, verse 18. We want you to imitate those who through faith and patience inherit what is promised. Abraham being the chief example of that. Now let me just, let me just chase this rabbit for a second. God made Abraham a promise when he was 100 years old. He'd made the same promise 25 years earlier. I'm going to give you a son. And through your son, through this son, all, uh, you, you will have descendants like the sands of the seashore and the stars in the heavens. 25 years go by. Abraham is now 100 years old. Sarah is 91. And he says, Abraham, uh, come here for a second. He said, I- I'm going to change your name. His name was Abram, which means exalted father. It's kind of weird for a guy who has no children. He's like, I'm changing your name, Abraham, from Abraham, exalted father, to, or to, from Abram, which means exalted father, to Abraham, which means father of a multitude. So tell all your neighbors that your name is now no longer exalted father. You're now a father of a multitude. And his 91-year-old wife isn't even pregnant. And he says this, I have made you the father of many nations. Abraham's like, me? But here's what it says about that promise. That was the promise it's referring to in in Romans 4. Against all hope, Abraham and hope believed, and so became the father of many nations. As it is written, so shall your offspring be. He examined his body as good as dead in the deadness of Sarah's womb. His experience wasn't bearing this out. She wasn't pregnant. He, he couldn't have kids. She couldn't have kids. But he, he uh, refused to waver in unbelief regarding the promise of God, but grew strong in his faith and gave glory to God because he believed that God was able to do that which he had promised. Was the promise realized when God said, I have made you the father of many nations? No. And so through faith, faith and patience, faith and patience, uh, Abraham inherited what was promised. He did become the father of many nations. You all know the story. God made his promise to Abraham, saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. God confirmed it with an oath because it is impossible for God to lie. So here are the two points I want you to take away from this part. God who does not lie promised. God who cannot lie promised. And so the same God that made those promises to Abraham said, reckon yourselves dead to sin but alive unto God in Christ Jesus. So finally... Here it is. My faith, what if my, what if my experience doesn't match the promise? What if I'm not experiencing what the promise says? Am I to believe that God's a liar? 
Or am I just to believe that I'm not quite laying hold of this yet? Well, it's the latter. Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. And the life I now live in the body, I live by faith, by faith in the Son of God. Every one of us, that's just not for Paul, every one of us, God wants every one of us to say that by faith. God said, I have given you the land of Canaan. And Joshua and Caleb said, let's go, man. Those giants will be bred for us. And the people of Israel said, we can't do this. God had given them that land, and they said, no, we can't do this. And they did not enter the land of promise because of unbelief. God told Joshua, circle the city seven times, the city of Jericho, and on the seventh day, or sixth day or whatever it was, circle it seven times and then shout, and the walls will come down. That's impossible, God. I can't do that that way. Jesus told the man in the synagogue, stretch out your hand. Well, his hand was withered. He couldn't stretch it out. But when he took the step of faith and did it, his hand was restored. He was able to stretch it out. When Peter was in the boat and Jesus said, come to me, he was able to walk on the water. Even though he's a fisherman, he knows he can't walk on water. Faith comes before the promise is realized, guys. Faith comes before the promise is realized. The promise that God made to to Abraham in Genesis 17 came to pass in Genesis 18. He did receive that son, and years, years, decades later, he was the father of a multitude. Yeah. So, So, guys, here's the bottom line. Bear with me for a moment. God has offered to us the promise of entering his realm of resting in confident faith from the bondage and slavery of sin. So we must be extremely careful to ensure that we all embrace the fullness of that promise and not fail to experience it because of unbelief. For we have heard the good news of deliverance just as as the Israelites did when they were in the desert, yet they did not join their faith with the word. Instead, what they heard didn't affect them because they doubted what God said. For those of us who believe, faith activates the promise and we experience the realm of rest. Rest from sin, rest from our labors, rest from working for our, our acceptance. Those who first heard the good news of deliverance failed to enter that realm of faith Faith rests because of their unbelieving hearts. Yet the fact remains that we still have the opportunity to enter that faith rest life and experience the fulfillment of the promise. This is Hebrews 4, by the way, in the, in the Passion Translation. So we conclude that there is still a full and complete rest waiting for believers to experience. And as we enter into God's faith rest, we cease from our own works just as God had rested, finished his works and rested from them. So then we must give our all, we must labor to experience and enter into this rest life so that no one fails and falls short by following the same pattern of doubt and unbelief that the Israelites did. It's, it's faith that receives from the hand of God. And don't give up just because the struggle and labor doesn't immediately produce the prize 
of entering into God's rest and complete victory over sin. Don't forget, Hebrews says that, that this thing begins with labor. He says labor to enter God's rest. It begins with labor. It begins by looking at a promise of God and saying, I'm going to make that mine. I declare it. I receive it. I declare it as true. This first stage of faith is battling, taking hold of a truth or promise that is not real in our experience, but with our hearts, our wills, our minds, we declare it to be ours in spite of all appearances to the contrary. We don't appear to be dead to sin and alive to God. And, and, and unbelief says nonsense, but, we, but the labor of faith means that we deliberately turn, return again and again to believing God's promise over our experience. We persist in believing and declaring the truth of the promise. And as we follow the steps of those who by faith have inherited the promises, a divine thing begins to happen within us. The Spirit begins to work with our faith as He is always doing. And our faith becomes experience. It gives way to experience. Labor is replaced by rest. And the final result of faith is rest in God, intimacy with Christ, and ongoing victory over old sin patterns that used to hinder our walk and rob our peace. Does that make sense at all? You just hold on to the promise and say, if I fall a thousand times, I'm going to get up a thousand and one times and say, that promise is true, whether it's my experience or not. God, I believe you over my experience. And I believe your promise over my failure. And I'm going to keep persevering until your spirit makes it real. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this message. For more information about our church, visit vineyardnorthridge.org or find us on social media at Vineyard Northridge.